Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. Just thinking as I was preparing, as I was praying, when is the last time that you've heard a message on hell? When was the last time that you even heard somebody warn of the dangers of hell? When was the last time you were really gripped with the reality that, guys, there is a real place where people are spending eternity, and the Bible says many are going there. And yet, as pastors, I know there's pastors right now in the chat, as preachers, we very rarely talk about hell. We shy away from it. And of all my spiritual warfare, all my my teachings on casting out demons i'm telling you guys of the 40 plus hours i've done on deliverance i had more resistance preparing and getting ready for this message i'm going to preach to you guys tonight than i have any spiritual warfare teaching because i believe the devil does not want you to know about hell the devil is afraid of us exposing hell and i'm telling you the bible says many are going to go there and there's honestly when it comes to the the, the concept idea in the place of hell there is no english words to describe the actual place of hell so I'm going to do my best to share what the Bible says, to share some stories and different things, but there's no English words that can rightfully describe the torment, the isolation, the torture, the darkness, and it's not an easy thing. As I preach, I, I, I'm in fear and trembling as I preach this. I'm humbly coming to you guys. I'm telling you the terror of the Lord, I feel it on me because I still have a hard time wrapping my head around the fact that there is a literal place, I'm going to show you later, in the center of the earth where millions and millions, billions of people have died and gone there that are being tormented even as we speak. And the reality is there's people listening to my voice right now. This will 100% be the most important message you've ever heard because some of you are on your way biblically to this place called hell for all of eternity. And tonight God is changing your direction. That is what tonight is about. It's about changing our direction, not only in the life of the unbeliever that's listening, but in the life of the believer it's possible for Christians quote-unquote Christians to die and end up in hell and I want to tell you I would rather you get offended tonight as I preach on hell than you be in hell mad that I didn't tell you the truth so if you don't like it listen friend buckle up open up your eyes open up your heart let's see what the Bible says because I'm telling you this place is a place that you don't want to go you wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy there's no accurate description of all the descriptions of all the people that have shared stories and I'm not going to get into all the stories there's hundreds of them of people that have died gone to hell and then been resuscitated on their deathbed or when they had an accident or whatever it was visions dreams of hell i'm not going to go into all those i'll mention some when it comes to bill wheeze but i want to tell you guys the scripture is clear about hell it's not a light thing. It's not an easy thing. I've wrestled with this for weeks, knowing that God has been wanting me to preach about it, but knowing that as I preach, I won't be able to do it justice. The picture I paint isn't fitting because you can't describe the level of darkness and torment that is in hell. You can't describe the darkness, the isolation, the terror, the misery, the weeping and the gnashing of teeth that is hell. And hell is 100% real. It's a hundred times worse than anyone one can describe or talk about and many people have gone there given visions and come back and they will tell you that there is no verbiage i've had bill Weezy, he's a friend of mine on the podcast several times he'll tell you there is no verbiage to describe the terror and the sheer torment of hell and i want to focus specifically on what does the bible say about hell and understand that this is a very very real place and that everyone 
is in danger. No one is exempt. No one is above reproach. No one's like, I know there's no chance I can live how I want. And not. I'm telling you, friend, every one of us have to. The Bible says, work out our salvation with fear and with trembling because it is a very serious thing. Now, Jesus talked about the literal place of hell more than any other person in the Bible. He talked about the literal place of hell more than he talked about the literal place of heaven. He constantly warned of hell. He shared more about hell than he did of heaven because it's clear that if we're following Jesus, if we're preaching what Jesus preached, we as pastors, and I want to challenge pastors tonight and believers need to warn people of the dangers of hell. If Jesus talked about it, come on, type one if I'm preaching tonight. If Jesus warned about it, if Jesus described it and makes it clear that and made it clear that many are going to go there, should we not as believers be considering hell? Should we not be thinking about hell? The Bible says the wise man thinks about death constantly, but the fool only worries about today. And this is the reality that our life is but a vapor. Friend, listen to me. You blink and you're 30, then you're 60, then you're 90. I'm telling you how quick our life goes. The Bible says your life is a fleeting moment. It's a fleeting thing that you're literally, it means you're chasing life. And I feel this even in my own life. I'm going to be 30 in May. Okay. I don't understand this because I was 16 yesterday and I've blinked and I'm going to be 30. I have four kids. I'm going, me and my wife all the time are like, where did these kids come from? Because life is so fleeting and it feels like I'm chasing time. It feels like my kids are just growing and growing and life is passing me. And meanwhile, we're doing all the stuff we're doing and I'm trying to hang on to life. I'm trying to pursue life and I'm trying to just really, uh, you know, uh, just hang on to what God is doing and make use of every moment I have. But at the same time, there's this impending doom, this anxiety that I have because life is fleeting. Life is running from me. It doesn't matter how fast you run. It doesn't matter how rich you are. Every single one of us are, are aging right now as I preach this hour that I'm sharing with you, this hour or whatever it's going to be that I'm live. Your life is passing by every single breath that you take is one breath closer to either in eternity with God or hell. There's only two destinations. So this idea of annihilation or there's no heaven or hell, or we have a second chance if we go to hell, friend, I'm telling you, hell is no joke. It's a very serious thing. And we as believers need to be warning our friends and family and letting them know the reality of this place. Now, I'm not telling you to go around telling people, everyone you know, they're going to hell, but I'm talking about, do you have a burden for your friends and family when it comes to the reality of this place of eternal torment? I remember after getting saved, I was so frustrated because I realized I was on my way to hell and nobody had warned me. I didn't realize my life choices, my life decisions, and my actions were leading me to hell. And I had this mindset that because I'm a good person, if God is real or if God does exist, then, you know, I'm surely going to go to heaven because, you know, I don't really believe God does exist, but if he does, I'm a good person to fall back on. And I grew up in a Christian home and my parents are Christian and I'll just go to heaven either way. If he exists or not, everything's going to be fine. Having no idea, 100% friend, listen to me tonight, 100% if I would have died in that car accident, if I would have died in that overdose, if I would have died when I hung myself as a kid, if I would have died when I fell out of that car when I did this or that I 100% Isaiah Saldivar would have been in hell right now burning for all eternity and I'm so grateful that it was the mercy and I just feel the Holy Ghost tonight and the grace of God that spared my life over and over and over the worst thing that could ever happen 
was dying not knowing Christ. The worst thing that could have happened to me was not dying. It was dying a life separated from Christ. And I'm telling you, I know there's many of you that God has spared over and over and over. And this would be a good place as you listen to this tonight. Come on, share this broadcast. To say, Lord, thank you for rescuing me from the hands of hell. Thank you for rescuing me from the hands of death. Thank you for overcoming death, hell, and the grave so that I can live eternity with you. And, and this is why, as we talk about how terrible hell is that you need to understand the the worse you see hell and if you see it for what it really is the more you can appreciate the saving power grace and the cross of Christ if you realize how terrible this place is and what Christ did stood on your place come on this is the gospel let's break 2,000 viewers here stood in your place you will recognize and be more appreciative to his blood and to his power this is no joke guys I'm telling you I was nauseous all day long as I was praying as I was reading because I take this topic so serious and even as I preach I'm going Lord I know I can't do this hell justice and paint a picture and do it justice but Lord help me with your power and your anointing and I know many of you are even saying in the chat you're crying you feel the fear of the Lord because this is what we need to feel when hell is preached and talked about and this is why Jesus kept warning of the danger of hell and 2 Corinthians 5 10 Paul says something so profound he says we're all going to appear on the judgment before the judgment seat of Christ so that we all might receive what is due for what we've done in the body whether good or evil so we have this time right now this 60 to 80 years in the body where one day we're going to stand before God and take account and this is why judgment day heaven and hell is so significant because every single one of you here's why we need to talk about it here's why we need to preach about it why we need a conviction why I can't shout loud enough you're like why are you shouting because friend if you're in a burning building I'm going to yell to get out of the building it's not a light subject it's not a light topic and every one of us doesn't matter where you are who you are or what you believe you might not even believe this but you're going to stand naked before God one day on judgment that no one the Bible says will escape the judgment seat of Christ that we all must take account on that day of judgment and it's essential that we're ready on that day of judgment every person will have a moment of time where they appear before Christ to be judged and I'm telling you I am tired of living my life worried about people that are not gonna stand next to me on judgment day why are we living our life to please other people we need to live Live our lives in light of judgment day and eternity. Doesn't matter how much money you have, what status you have, the amount of followers you have. You listen to me clear tonight. You will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You will not be able to send your attorney. You'll not have your pastor speak on your behalf. You won't be able to send your parents or try to cover or make excuses. You will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And the Bible says you won't escape. Nobody will escape that dreadful and great day. Now it's called the great and dreadful day because for some of us, it's going to be a great day. The Bible says the righteous will come boldly before God on that day. But for others, it's going to be a dreadful day. And these are the people, and this is what I want to preach to you. We're not safe because we just profess or we claim guys the reality is Jesus makes it clear that there are many people that do not know they're going to hell that are going to go to hell we're not talking about a year we're not talking about two years we are talking about eternity now if you ever think about eternity or try to let eternity play in your mind it will drive you absolutely crazy to even think about the human mind the human intellect will never be able to understand eternity will never be able to understand how long eternity is and and so it's important that you spend it in the right place because the Bible tells us how we become eligible. Now, the scary reality is we know the Bible says that people that don't believe in Jesus 
put their faith in him and receive the message will go to hell. So listen, if you don't believe in Jesus, you don't put your faith in him and you don't receive the message of salvation, we know those people are going to hell. But many don't realize that also self-professing Christians can also end up in hell. The Bible describes well-meaning people who confessed Jesus as their Lord. They had faith. They even drove out demons, did miracles and prophesied, but they did not enter heaven. This is not according to Isaiah. A lot of the stuff I'm going to give you is directly from Jesus tonight because this is not Isaiah telling you this. These are the words of Jesus that many, many, many that profess me but don't live for me are going to go to hell. So is it possible there's 2,100 of you listening? Is it possible there's a a bunch of us in here that are self-proclaiming Christians that are saying they love God and confessing him and even doing signs and wonders, maybe even driving out demons, but because of the lack of relationship, and I'm going to show you later, the lack of a changed lifestyle are actually going to this terrible place. According to Jesus, yes, we are not exempt. I'm going to show you this because I know a lot of you are going to start manifesting. A lot of religious spirits are going to get mad, but we are not exempt from hell because we believe in Jesus. The Bible says many on that day will say, Lord, Lord, Lord. They believed in him, but still cast into hell because they professed him with their mouth, but they didn't live for him with their lives. So it's not just confessing with your mouth. It's having a personal relationship. Let's look at what what the Bible says about this, what James says about it in James 2, 14. He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but it doesn't show by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? He says, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? And then he says this, So you see, faith by itself is not enough. This is not according to Isaiah, this is in James. He says, unless it produces good deeds, your faith is dead and your faith is useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. This is your Bible. So you say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. So you believe in Jesus. You believe there's one God. You're in here tonight saying God is real. And then James says, sarcastically, good for you. Even the demons believe this and the demons tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that if you have faith, but you don't have works or good deeds, your faith is useless. And then he talks about how Abraham was counted righteous for his faith. He said, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous. He was even called a friend of God. So you see, you're shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Because the Bible says that Abraham's faith works together with his actions. So Abraham was counted righteous by his faith. But the Bible says in this verse, his faith and actions work together. So there has to be, and this is the important thing to think about when it comes to can a believer go to hell? And we're going to find out Jesus actually says many believers are going to go to hell. But here's what you have to understand. It has to do with a life change. There has to be evidence of your, in your life that you've actually turned from your sins and you've actually repented. So if you can't find fruit in your life, a changed life, a changed lifestyle from when you got saved till now, then it's possible that you are on your way to hell. It's possible that you are on the broad road. It's possible that you're going through the broad way and that when you die, you will stand before 
before God thinking you're saved and not being saved. Now you're saying, Isaiah, no one's ever told me this or preached this to me. That's because it's not an easy thing to tell people that think they're saved that they might not be saved. But that is why the Bible says you must work out your salvation because every one of us, including Isaiah Seldov, our friend, if you think that I wasn't reading and studying and praying about this message tonight and not thinking for one moment in my head, could it be possible that Isaiah Saldivar could end up in hell? I thought about that a thousand times. This is what makes me sick to my stomach because I'm working out my salvation. I am not exempt because I'm a pastor. And Paul Paul told us this. He said, I fear that after all my preaching, and by the way, I know there's a lot of pastors. I see you in the chat. Feel free to steal this entire message and preach it to your church because we need to preach on hell. But Paul says, after all of this preaching, I myself might be disqualified. So don't sit there and say, oh brother, you're telling me I'm going to hell and preaching at me. Friend, I'm telling you, I have to look at my own life and say, is there evidence in the life of Isaiah Saldivar that I've repented? of my sins Jesus said if you love me obey what I say now James makes it clear right here that if you say you have faith but you don't show it by your actions your faith he says can't save you then he goes on and says faith by itself is not enough it needs to produce good deeds and if it doesn't it's dead and useless are you saying my works get me saved no the Bible says we're not saved by works but what you need to understand is our works and I hope you're taking notes tonight prove that we are saved without faith you can't be saved but without works you don't have genuine faith so works do not and i know you're going to try to twist it on me do not earn you salvation they prove that you've already received salvation paul says this show evidence that you're saved and you're among those god has called and chosen so we need to have evidence in our life it can't be enough that i go to church on sunday that's not evidence the devil goes to church on sunday i know the bible that's not evidence the devil knows the bible i speak the scripture that's not evidence the devil spoke the scripture to jesus i believe in jesus that's again not evidence because the devil believes in jesus and the devil trembles so what is the evidence it's a changed lifestyle it's fruit in my life bearing worthy of repentance john the baptist said Prove by the way that you live that you've repented of your sin. And so this whole thing is about a radical life change. And that can only be by the grace of God and by the power of God. But the grace of God does not say you can live how you want and you'll be saved on judgment day because you had faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus, according to James, is not enough. Now, the disciples asked the question. I'm going to go over this quickly. And we're going to get into the breakdown of what is hell like, where is hell located, the torment in hell, and a bunch of different things. But the disciples asked Jesus, how many are actually going to be saved? Now, I've asked Jesus this a bunch times I've looked at crowds I've preached to thousands and thousands of people I've been to cities where there's a million people two million people three million people and I've been times and said Lord I remember one time I was in San Francisco and I was on like the 30th floor and the room we were in was all glass the hotel room my wife and I were in and I looked over a city seven square miles in San Francisco I used to preach there every month for about eight years straight and I looked over a 30th floor up and I looked at 800,000 people that live in the city, about two to three million people are there at any given day. And I looked at those people and I said, Lord, how many of these people are actually going to be saved? Like, have you ever thought about this? All the people that die, the 100,000, whatever it is that dies, I think it's like 150,000, some crazy amount of people that die every single day. The people that are just dying, the billions of people on earth. And I'm going, Lord, how many of these people are actually saved? And this is what they asked him. In Luke 13, 22, the Bible says Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he went, pressed towards Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will there only be a few saved? 
And Jesus responded with this, work hard or strive to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. For many, which means the mass majority, will try to enter but will fail. When the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you'll say, but we ate and we drank with you, Jesus. We know you, you taught in our streets. And he's gonna reply, I don't know where you come from. Get away from me, all you who do evil. And then listen to this. Please listen to me with the fear of the Lord. Do not click off this broadcast. Share this with somebody. Listen closely. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for you will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you will be thrown out and people will come from all over the world, from the east to west, north to south, to take their places in the kingdom of God. And note this. Some who seem least important now will be greatest then, and some who are greatest now will be least important then. Friend, understand, this is a picture of believers that tried to enter through the narrow gate. And the Bible says they get thrown out. They get thrown where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's the words of Jesus, but they get a glimpse of what heaven is like. Is it possible that right before right before God throws you into hell. And by the way, the devil does not throw people into hell. According to scripture, God is the one that throws people into hell. There's coming a day where the devil's gonna be in hell for all of eternity and have enough of his own torment to torment anybody. And God is about to throw that person, cast them into outer darkness. And God gives you a picture of everything that you missed out on on, in heaven. I get the chills talking about this. You get a picture of all the glory and the majesty of heaven. And God, you see it and you get cast out because you never entered through that narrow gate. Now, Jesus says this, because I know people have trouble when I talk about this. He says, you need to work hard or you need to strive to enter through the narrow gate or the straight gate. And that literally means in the Greek, you need to agonize, you need to compete for a prize, you need to contend, you need to fight, you need to labor, or here's the better translation in the Greek, fervently fight. So Jesus says, I want you to understand that entering into eternity with me is a battle. It's a daily agonizing. You need to agonize and compete. That's why Paul says, you gotta, you gotta run like you're the only one winning the prize. And the whole point of all this, well, why would I work for it? Is to understand how serious your salvation is. Paul says, These athletes get up at four o'clock in the morning. They have a regiment. They have a diet. They train for 10 hours. They do all this work for years. They train for years and years to run the Olympics, which are every four years. And Paul says to win a prize that is not eternal. How much more should we run the race with endurance to win this eternal prize? And so Jesus is trying to say, listen, you got to get serious. You got to agonize. You got to have the terror of the Lord. This is not a joke. This is not a game because it's possible. You're going to try to get through the narrow gate and you're going to die and go to hell. And again, Isaiah Saldivar is not exempt. This is all of us have to look at when we've made it getting into heaven so easy. But Jesus said, you need to contend for your salvation. Salvation is free. Do not get it twisted. We can never do anything to earn it. None of us did anything to get it. But understand, it costs everything. If any man wants to follow me, what happens? He has to lay down his life, surrender everything, let the dead bury the dead, pick up his cross, and follow after me. He was saying, I want you to also fight. And then here's another translation, to take a stand. You need to take a stand 
against darkness. The word straight in the Greek, the word straight gate, literally means to take a stand. Take a stand for what is right. Take a stand for holiness. Take a stand for righteousness. Take a stand for my miracle power. Take a stand for my the, the favor of God on your life. Take a stand. Don't sit back and just be blown around by any wind of doctrine or let the culture and the voices of this world silence you. I've had to make a decision in my own life. I am going to take a stand. I know people do not want me preaching on hell. I know they don't want me preaching on deliverance. I know they don't want me preaching on judgment day. I know that it's not popular to preach on the things that I preach on but you know what I'm on the straight road I'm on the straight gate and the straight gate and the straight road is a taking a stand for what God is doing for what God is staying and for right there will be no wimps that inherit the kingdom of God in fact the Bible says in Revelation the first ones I won't go through the list of sins because my point of this video is not to name every sin that you go to hell but the list of sins is long in Revelation but the first ones that get thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur is the cowards so if we're just sitting back and going with the flow of culture going with the flow of religion going with the flow of you know this nice jesus wants to fix up your life feel good about yourself this cheap grace coffee shop christianity then we are not on the straight road and we are not going through the straight gate now jesus says for many will seek to enter but not be able to so jesus is painting two christians here the strivers and the seekers they're all trying to enter now i want you to understand this he is not preaching and later we will talk about this he's not preaching to the atheist or the gang member or the one that's lost in darkness he's preaching to the believer because remember in luke 13 these are all people that are striving to enter into the narrow gate so all of us tonight if you're listening and you're a believer we're all striving or we're seeking those are the two groups jesus says you're either striving to enter or you're seeking to enter now the seekers the word seek means to worship god desire or inquire about god and here's what jesus says man i felt the holy ghost so strong tonight the seekers are not going to enter into heaven wait a minute seek means to worship god desire or inquire about he says seekers don't enter only strivers enter he says they're going to seek to enter but not be able to and this is why these are people that are always learning about god but never actually having a lifestyle change always going to church on sunday to learn more about god but in never affecting their everyday life always wanting to know more always studying the bible and asking questions always camping around the fire coming to the meetings but never entering into the power of god checking things out hanging around but never committing they never really get fully involved in god they never really go all in like there's a part of them i'm preaching strong tonight that wants god and there's this other part of them that's still in love with the world and he goes these are the seekers and we have what we call seeker sensitive churches now they don't name that that because of this verse but this is the truth of the american church and i i tremble as i say this we are all seeking god we're all inquiring on sunday morning or whatever it is you go to church about god we ignore him all week long and this is why you don't think you're going to hell how can god send someone to hell that is seeking him because you have to understand it's not enough to seek him you have to actually know him these are seekers they're looking into things they're seeking to understand but they never actually get to a place where they fully are on fire for god 
fully surrender. And he says, those are the seekers. They try to enter, but they're not able to. Only the strivers are able to go. So it's like, don't strive for your salvation. Well, you're preaching antichrist because the Bible says in this verse to strive to enter in. So we are called to strive to enter into God's kingdom. These strivers, they agonize, they fight, they compete, they weep over sin. There's a fire in them. There's a brokenness and they stand up for truth and they agonize over the lost. Friend, are we agonizing? I mean, have we, do we, do we agonize going, God, people are lost and people are broken. What am I doing with the time that you've given me on earth friend these seekers are playing a religious game and they're not saved and so we need to understand that the bible says is in luke 13 22 that the seekers do not enter in stop playing the seeker game get off the sidelines and say god maybe it's possible that even though i've been in church my whole life i'm still not saved because i've been seeking but there hasn't been that lifestyle change and this is the deception well, God would never shut the door on me. I'm a seeker. God would never throw me into hell. I'm a seeker. You know what your Bible says in Luke 13, 22 in this verse? That God, the master, stands up and slams the door. Friend, listen to me closely. Once the door closes, there's no opening that door. Once you've been sentenced to eternity separated from God and God, the judgment seat, God slams the door. There's no coming back from the door slamming. And the Bible says the master of the house rises up. Now here's the reality. And this is what I want to show you. God can stand up in your life at any moment. That means you can die at any moment and go and stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And God will either open the door or God will slam the door on you. And you might think, well, I have years and I have this. Now, can you get saved on your deathbed? Absolutely, but nobody is guaranteed a deathbed. And if you're sitting here listening to me saying, I'm just gonna repent and get serious when I die, when I'm on my deathbed, you are gambling with your eternity. You are playing with your soul and you're playing with the eternal life. This is the moment. That's why the Bible says now is the day of salvation because I've said this before, eternity is not in front of you. Eternity is on the side of you. Now, if eternity was in front of you, you'd say, okay, Isaiah, I have 30 years to live how I want and then eternity is 31 years in front of me, I'll get right with God and then I'll be saved at the last minute. That's not how eternity works. Eternity is next to you. And let me explain how this works. If it's in front of me, I have to wait a certain amount of time to get to eternity. If it's next to me at any moment, this is something God showed me years ago, at any moment you can step over out of this body, out of the natural chronological realm into the realm of eternity. So every single one of us are not promised one second. Right now, any one of us, including me, could have a heart attack, God forbid, and die and be in eternity. Why? Because I can step into eternity. Now, if you've talked to people that have died, uh, John Ramirez actually died, I believe it was two years ago. He said, Isaiah, it was like taking a shoe off. When you die, it's like taking a shoe off. You slip out of your body and that door that you go through and you go through judgment, there's no slipping back through the door. The door gets shut. If you've heard about near-death experiences, even unbelievers, they say it's like crossing a threshold. It's like crossing a door when you die. And once you cross that door, the door does not reopen for you. There's no exits. Hell has many entrances, but it has no exits because I want you to write this down. Hell is eternal. Friend, hell is not, there's no ending to hell. There's no game over. There's no respawn timer. There's no escaping once you get to hell, unless obviously it's a vision or a dream or you get resuscitated. Once you die and you get judged and go to hell, 
You're never coming out of hell. A hundred million years will go by in hell and it will be a hundred million years of torture, of torment, of destruction, and it'll be like the very first minute you arrived with no end to it. This is a complete sense in hell of hopelessness, despair, and suffering, knowing that you will never leave this place. You will be fully conscious conscious of your life on earth and the people that are living above you in the earth, because I do believe hell is a literal place, I'll explain to you later, in the center of the earth. And Jesus actually makes this clear how you're going to be conscious, because you might say, well, how do I know if I'm going to be aware of what's going on on earth when I'm in hell? Because Luke, Jesus tells us in Luke 16, 19, that there's a parable, well, some call it a parable, it actually, scholars say it's not a parable because Jesus gives a specific name, and he usually doesn't give specific names in parables, but Jesus tells a literal story of a man. The Bible says there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate laid a beggar named Lazarus, Lazarus covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked the man's sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades or in hell where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus. Remember, Lazarus is the poor guy in front of his house. Send him to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. This is literally Jesus describing hellfire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus to dip I'm sorry while Lazarus received bad things and now he's comforted while you're in agony and besides this between you and me is a great chasm which I won't get into I'll do another teaching on that set before us so that those who want to go from here to there cannot nor can anyone cross from here to there so there's no going from hell to heaven or heaven down to hell there's a great chasm I won't go into detail a lot on this that separates heaven from hell and there's a separation to where one person that's in hell will never be able to go to heaven and people that are in heaven eternally will never be able to go into hell and I want you to see what happens here the man answers then I beg you father send Lazarus to my family for I have five brothers let him warn them so that they will never come to this place of torment I want you to notice the rich man is completely aware of his brothers that are up on earth and are unaware of the place completely unaware that there's a place of torment below him below them where their brother is being burned for all of eternity in the lake of fire they're completely unaware that they're going there if they die and this is the world we live in we live in a world where there's seven billion people and every, most of the people are not aware that they are standing on something and in the core of the earth, I'll go into detail on this later, there are people being tormented, tortured, and burning for all of eternity. And this is the reality. Many of us have friends and family. And this is why I tell you I can't do this justice, but we have friends and family that are in hell right this very second. Every single one of us have a friend or a family member that has died and is burning right now. It's unfathomable. A lot of people change their mind about hell because of experience. They have a family member die, a friend die that they know went to hell. And so because their friend went there, now they change their theology because why would God send them? They're too good of a person. I can't bear to think that my friend or family is in hell. So we change the Bible, but here's the deal. You're not the author of the Bible, so you can't change it based on your own experiences or based on what you've been through or your friends or family. This is a literal place and people below us are thinking about us. They're aware that they're down there. They're in a pit of billions of people, faceless, no identity, no exit, 
complete, utter despair, hopelessness. We'll go into some of the torment in hell later. And these people are thinking about you and they're saying, if I could only go back, if you can only go back, here's what their message would be. Now, this is a message from hell. Literally, this guy sends, we're getting a picture. Jesus is giving us a picture of a message from hell. If you ever wondered, what would someone in hell want to tell us? And this is what Jesus is saying. This man is sending a message from hell to Abraham saying, please, here's my message. Warn my five brothers so they won't come here. And I get just chills. I get chills as I'm talking about this. Here's the message. Warn them. Warn them so they never come here. If you ever wondered what are people in hell thinking right now and what is their message to us on earth, their message is please warn everybody about this place so that no one has to come here because of how terrible this place is. See, this man said, please, I beg you, send Lazarus to my family to warn them. How many are in hell wishing they could warn us, wishing somebody warned them, wishing someone told them the truth about this. We're not talking about, friend, listen, and I have to hold back my emotions as I even preach this. We're not talking about a hundred years of torture and suffering. We're not talking about a 50 year prison sentence. We're talking about eternity never ending. I'm talking about a hundred billion years are of torment and torture. And then it's like the first second in hell, a hundred billion years of torture. I want you to try to just think your mind's just not going to be able to go there. And then hell is just starting a hundred billion years of torture listen you're like 30 40 maybe you're 50 years old 50 you're 50 years think of 50,000 years 50 million years 50 billion years and when you divide it by eternity it equals nothing because nothing could be compared to eternity that's why eternity or infant infinite infinity cannot be divided by anything because it just keeps looping because it never ends and this is the torment not only is hell terrible and just disgusting and disturbing but this is the torment that we are going to experience in hell this is not a game that we're going to play this is not a joke i want to read you something that bill Wees describes in his book 23 minutes in hell some of the torment now he goes into greater detail but let me just read you some of the torture and torment because if i don't share this with you you'll never get your grip or your mind around the fact of how terrible this place was now this is his story of when he first appeared he said this as i was laying there on the floor of the cell i felt extremely weak now this man i'm gonna i'm reading you about he went to hell for 23 minutes we've had him on the podcast he's a friend of mine he is the real deal if you've ever met the real deal god brought him there and said i want you to go warn my people about hell but this is what he says as i was laying on the floor of the cell i felt extremely weak I noticed that I had a body, one that had appeared just as my body appears now. Lifting up my head, I began to look around and immediately I realized that I was not by myself in this cell. I saw two enormous creatures unlike anything I'd ever seen before. These creatures were approximately 10 to 13 feet tall. And this is graphic if you have kids in the room. These towering beasts were far, far beyond intimidating. It is one thing to be threatened by someone much taller than you, but these creatures were not of the natural world. I recognized that they were entirely and purely evil and gazing at me with pure unrestrained hatred, which completely uh, paralyzed me with evil and terror that had stood before me. These creatures were insanely concentrated manifestation of evil and terror. I still had no idea where I was and I felt utterly panicked. Although I had no point of reference or I wasn't familiar with anything I was experiencing and no one understanding of or no understanding of how I got there, still I was faith faced with the unimaginable reality that torturous death seemed certain. The creatures weren't animals, they weren't humans. 
These were beasts that resembled a reptile in appearance, but took on the form of a human. Their arms and legs were not equally in length. They were out of proportion with no symmetry. The first one had bumps and scales all over its grotesque body. It had a huge protruding jaw. Look at the look at the how graphic this is. Gigantic teeth and large sunken in eyes. This creature was stout and powerful with thick legs, abnormally long, long feet, large feet, and it was pacing violently in my prison cell. And this is when he woke up in hell. Like a caged bull, it was extremely ferocious. The second beast was taller and thinner with very long arms, razor sharp fins covered its body, protruding from its hands were claws that were nearly a foot long. Its personality seemed different from the first creature. It was no less evil, but it remained rather still. I could hear the creature speaking to each other although I could not tell what language it was somehow I could understand their words they were awful words terrible blasphemous language somehow I could understand their words and they were uh, they were blaspheming their mouths were expressing extreme hatred for God suddenly they turned their attention toward me they looked like hungry predators staring at their prey I was terrified like an insect in a deadly spider's web I felt hopeless trapped and frozen with fear and i knew i had become and i just get chills the whole time i'm reading this the object of their hostility and i felt a violent evil presence such as something i'd never felt or anything greater i could ever imagine they possessed such a hatred that far surpassed any hatred a person could have and this hatred was directed straight at me he says i couldn't identify what these beasts were yet but i knew they were there to harm me i wanted desperately to get up and run but as i lay on that cell floor i noticed i had absolutely no strength in my body i could barely move why did i not have strength I felt so defenseless. Psalms 88.4 says, I'm counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that has no strength. I knew that this was much more than a physical weakness I was feeling, but it was a weakness of every form. I was mentally and emotionally drained, even though I was only there for a couple minutes. Now think about a hundred million years of this. Most of us have experienced a loss of strength or energy after intense weeping, emotional distress or grief. After a time of healing, we get our strength back. It may even take years. However, in this moment, I knew that I would never recuperate from the literal weight that had fallen upon me, a weight of complete, now listen to this, hopeless despair. Two more creatures came into the cell I had the feeling that these were the four that had been assigned to me. So now there's four creatures in his prison cell. He said, I felt as though I was being sized up and that my torment would be their amusement. As they entered, suddenly the light vanished. And this is graphic. It became absolutely pitch black in the cell. I had no idea why the sudden and intense darkness had begun, but I'd sensed that the light had been present, was an intrusion of the atmosphere, and now it's gone back to its normal state of darkness. Lamentations 3.6 says, He set me in dark places like the dead long ago. One of the creatures, and again, this is graphic, one of the creatures picked me up. The strength of the beast was amazing. I was comparable to the weight of a glass in its hand. Mark 5, 3 through 4 says, a de- describes a demon-possessed man by having not been able to be bound, not even with chains. The chains had been pulled apart and the shackles broken to pieces. And then he says, instinctively, I knew that the creature holding me had the strength of approximately 1,000 times greater than a man. I cannot explain, he says, how I perceive that information, but these beasts began to throw me against the wall. I crumbled to the floor and it felt as if every bone in my body was broken. I felt pain, but it was as if the pain was somehow being softened and I wasn't experiencing the full brunt of the pain. I thought, how was this pain being blocked? The second beast with the razor-like claws 
and protruding fins grabbed me from behind in a bear hug as it pressed into my chest its sharp razor fins through my back. I felt like a rag doll in its clutch clutches in comparison to its enormous size. And then it reached around and plunged its claws into my chest and began to rip outward. My flesh hung from my body like ribbons as I fell to that cell floor. These creatures had no respect for the human body, how remarkable the body was made. I've always taken care of myself, Bill says, eating right, exercising, and staying in shape. None of this mattered in hell as my body was being literally destroyed right before my eyes. I knew that I would never be able to escape this torture via death or that death was even an option. Death penetrated me, but death eluded me. The creatures seemed to derive pleasure in the pain and terror that they inflicted upon me. Psalms 116.3 says, The sorrows of death com compassed me, and the pain of hell's gate held upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Oh, how I yearned for death, but there was none. The living dead, I pleaded for mercy, but they had no death, absolute no mercy. They seemed to be, these creatures seemed to be incapable of mercy. They were pure evil. And then it says, no mercy, no mercy even existed in this place. Mercy is from God in heaven. The mental anguish I felt was indescribable. Asking for mercy such for such evil only seemed to heighten their desire to torment me. I was conscious of the fact that there was no fluids in my body, no blood, no water, no nothing. At this time, I didn't stop to wonder why. I was extremely nauseous from the terrible smell coming from the creatures. It was disgusting, foul, rotten. It was by far the most putrid smell I've ever encountered. If you could take every rotten thing you can imagine, such as an open sewer, rotten meat, spoiled eggs, sour milk, dead rotting animals, sulfur, magnify that by a thousand times, you may come close to it. This is not an exaggeration. He says, the odor was actually extremely toxic and that alone should have killed me. Indistinctly, I just knew that some of these things I experienced were a thousand times worse than I could ever possibly imagine. Such things as the odor mentioned, the strength of the demons, the loudness of the screaming, the dryness and the loneliness felt. This is the pure terror that I experienced in hell. And Bill Weiss goes on giving hundreds of verses in his book of 23 minutes he spent in hell. And this is a picture, guys, of somebody I know him personally, I trust him, somebody that actually experienced hell and came back to share the message this is the sheer and I'm I'm literally sweating my palms are soaking wet right now because this is the literal sheer torment of hell and this is why it's so serious that we warn our friends and family about the place now I want to give you some other facts about hell that you might not know that hell is a literal place in the center of the earth now deepest the deepest researchers have ever dug into the earth is 7.5 miles and it took them over 20 years to dig that hole. The goal of the researchers I was reading was 9 miles, but it says that they they said they experienced unexpected increased heat while digging temperatures that reached at 7 miles deep the temperatures reached 350 degrees, which was double what they predicted at seven miles. So think about this. The deepest anyone has ever dug in the earth is seven miles, yet scientists don't know for sure, but they believe that the earth is a minimum, the core of the earth is a minimum of 2,000 miles deep. And the deepest they've ever gone is seven and a half miles. So they, they estimate 2,000 to 3,000 miles deep. So the question is, if you're seven miles into the earth and the temperatures, according to scientists, are 356 degrees, how hot is hell? Now, Bill Weiss in his book says that he felt like he was 3,700 miles deep into the earth. He said, I can't explain it. I just felt like I knew when I was there, that's how deep it was. But it makes it very clear that this is an extremely real place in the center of the earth. Now, the Bible says in number 16, and the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed them up and they 
went down alive into the pit and the earth closed up upon them and they perished among the congregation. First Samuel 28 says, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth and an old man is coming up. Why have you disturbed me bringing me up? Psalm 63, nine says, but those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. Again, the Bible is showing us that hell is actually located in the lower parts of the earth. Isaiah 26, 19 says, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Ezekiel 31 says, when I shall bring thee down and descend them into the pit, the people of the old time, and you shall descend into the lower parts of the earth and the places of desolate of old with them that go down to the pit for they are delivered unto death to the nether parts of the earth with them that go to the pit. So these are verse after verse describing hell is a literal place located in the center of the earth. Ezekiel 31, 14 says, for they're all delivered to death, neither them parts of the earth, they go down into the pit of the earth. Matthew 12, 40 says, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. This is, guys, this is your Bible. Ephesians 4, 9 says, he who was Jesus also descended into the lowest parts of the earth. Hell is located, I believe, and a lot of people will teach us and preach us. This is a literal place. And this is what is even more detrimental and mind-blowing about hell is that this is a literal place right now that we're standing on top. Now, you have to know this about hell. I'm just going to give you a bunch of different facts and descriptions about hell. Hell, it was created for Satan and his angels. So when God designed and created and manufactured hell, we don't know when God did it. It was not designed for people hell was not so if you think about the torture the torment the darkness the separation the um outer darkness and the fire none of this was meant for people this was meant for the devil matthew 25 41 says then he will also say to those on his left depart from me you accursed people into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels second peter 2 4 says god did not spare the angels when they sinned but he cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness held for judgment the everlasting fire of hell write this down was prepared for satan and his angels not humans now you might be thinking how could hell be so bad how could it be so much terror and so much destruction and torture because god did not originally design it for people to go there so god's design was not for people to go hell is a place for people that reject god that want nothing to do with god that trample over the cross of christ and do not have a personal relationship with god friend in order for you as a believer to go to hell is you have to trample over the cross and i'm not going to go into a teaching on this because we're 50 minutes in and i still got a lot to say but if you trample on the cross you trample it and you trample over it into hell because the cross is what separates us the cross is the grace the mercy the blood that was shed is our protection from hellfire it's the thing that stops us when we die from going to the place that we deserve to go to and that is the place of hell you also i believe have a body in hell and it's a body and bill weiss teaches on this in detail designed for destruction luke like when you talk about luke where we talked about earlier luke 13 when jesus talked about the rich men in hell jesus tells us the man in hell had a tongue 
had eyes and had mouth because remember he asked the poor man to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool his tongue for I'm tormented by the flame so this shows us that we do have a body in hell it's not the same body you have on earth it's a body made for destruction it's like where Bill talks about his book and I didn't read the part but he says he was being tortured and his body was regenerating he would be tortured and his body was regenerating so in hell death cannot be found the Bible says the people in hell long to die they want to die but death, the Bible says, is eluding them. It's escaping them. Death cannot be found. I mean, imagine wanting so bad to die to end your torment, and there's nothing you can do to die in hell. Now, Matthew 10, 28 says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both your body and your soul in hell. So there is a type of destruction of the body, of the soul in hell. This is a literal place. I want to show you this, not a symbolic. The, the fire of hell is literal. Psalms 37, 20 says, but the wicked shall perish and the enemy of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They will consume into smoke and they shall consume away. The Bible says in Malachi 4.1, For the day coming, they shall burn as in an oven, and all the proud that do wickedly shall be stubble, and the day cometh they shall burn up, says the Lord of hosts. Luke 16.24 and Matthew 13.42. Matthew 13.42 says, And I will cast them into the furnace of fire. Luke 16.24 says, I'm tormented in this flame. John 15.6 says, If a man abide not in me, he is a cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather them and scatter and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Jude 7 talks about suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Revelation 9 says, and then open the bottomless pit of smoke. I'm sorry, then open the bottomless pit and there arose smoke out of the pit and the sun and the air were darkened by the reason of the smoke that came out of the pit. So the smoke literally darkened the sky according to Revelation 9-2. And how could smoke darken a sky unless there's an intense amount of real fire? Revelation 14-10 says, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone. Guys, I'm telling you, oftentimes scientists and people have said the most painful way to die is by dying being burned alive hell is a place where you will burn for all of eternity now here's the most to me tormenting idea of hell if you get anything tonight i want you to get this when you are in hell you are fully conscious of your life on earth what's the most disturbing thing about the man in luke 16 we talked about earlier is that he is fully aware of his life on earth he's fully aware of the torment of the torture of his brothers and everything that he had going on completely aware and david wilkerson talks about if you may maybe have heard this the worm have you heard this that constantly turns in mark 9 48 where it says the worm doesn't die and the fire is never quenched this is speaking of some type some type of torment in the mind because you get constant thoughts and flashbacks of your life on earth and all the opportunities you had to serve god yet you chose to reject the cross in other words think about this and this to me is the most tormenting part of hell is that you will remember every sermon ever preached you will remember every opportunity you had to serve God. You'll remember every message you heard about God for all of eternity. You're going to constantly have these tormenting thoughts about what you could have done and what you didn't do. That's the worm. That's the conscience that is turning and you never die. And this is the most tormenting thing this worm that keeps turning and David Wilkerson likens it to like imagine you're in hell and all of a sudden the lights go on and you go from being in hell to lights turning on and you all of a sudden realize 
You're actually sitting in your living room and you're sitting there in your living room now all of a sudden and your kids are playing in the living room. You can hear them screaming. They're running out in the backyard. Your wife is cooking dinner. She brings you a cup of coffee and you grab the cup of coffee. You fill the warm coffee on your hand and you start freaking out going, honey, honey, I had this horrible nightmare. Honey, I had this terrible nightmare that I was in hell. I was being tortured. I was in fire. You wouldn't believe this. Oh my gosh, please, honey, tell me that I'm alive. Tell me that this is real. And you start filling your wife you grab her hand I, I, is this real I'm I cannot believe I had this nightmare I was in hell and you she goes no honey honey relax you're fine and that worms turning honey you're fine relax you're not in hell you're at home relax oh thank God I thought I was burning I thought I was in hell man this was crazy and then all of a sudden you're watching on TV someone's preaching and they're just about to give the altar call and you you're sitting on your couch with your coffee and you're all excited and you feel the warmth and the peace of the gospel that's being preached and then at the very end they say okay right now if you want to turn to God and you want to surrender everything right as you're on your couch you're about to surrender you're about to cry out to God you're about to say Lord Jesus save me everything goes black and you realize you're back in hell it was all just that worm turning. It was all the torment of going back, visualizing, going back in vision after vision for a billion years, all the chances you had, realizing it wasn't a dream. You actually are in hell. And you beg God, please, please God, don't ever send me back in time. Don't ever let me see that again. Don't ever let the worm turn again. Don't ever let me think of my life on earth again. This is the most tormenting thing. And you're thinking about all the sermons you preach, all the revivals you went to. And then all of a sudden you're sitting there burning, getting tortured, and you blink and you're sitting in the back of the church. And you're sitting at the church you grew up in. And you see the people. And you see everyone talking and hanging out and fellowshipping. You see the worship team start and you're sitting where you always sat for years. And you're going, I was I dreaming? Is hell real? Was that, was that just a dream? And you're panicking. You're telling me, I, I had a dream I was in hell. Please tell me it's real life. And everyone assures you this is real life. And you're sitting there and the, the man, man of God preaches the word of God. And you're about to respond. And right as you're about to shout Jesus, everything goes black. You're back in hell, burning again. And this goes on and on and on. For a billion years, you're hearing altar calls. For a billion years, you're reminded of the preaching you heard. You heard. You're reminded of the chances you had like tonight to say, God, I wanna know you, I wanna turn to you. And you have the chance right now, as opposed to that time where it's recurring. And all you can think about is, I would give anything just to be able to get out of this place. But the reality is, you will never get out of this place. Because this place is a place that is eternal and the door has already been shut. And you'll hear this message tonight. And this is, this is haunting, I know, but this is how real hell is and I'm not doing justice. You will hear this message tonight for a hundred million years. And then you'll hear this message, Isaiah Salva, you'll be in hell listening to me preach for another hundred million years. And you'll be so, you'll, you'll feel like I'm so, I was so close to grabbing onto the hem of Jesus' garment but the worm will keep turning and turning and you'll beg for death. You'll beg, you'll try to die, but you'll live in complete darkness. And here's another thing I wanna tell you about hell. Hell is complete and total darkness. Now I remember hearing this as a kid and this honestly tormented me as a child. I would think about hell being total darkness, being complete separation, but this is not a darkness that we 
think about. This is not a darkness where you turn the light off. Like if you turn the light off, you can still see your hand in front of you. This is a complete darkness, a darkness that you can feel, a darkness that rests on you. This is a complete isolation, not being able to see left to right, no reputation at all. It does not matter, listen to me, how successful you were on earth, how many followers you had, how many people knew you, whether you were Steve J. Jobs, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, it doesn't matter because in hell, nobody knows anybody. You're talking about millions and billions of faceless people, complete waste of existence, of human existence, and everything you've spent your life achieving and goals and things you've bought and the house and the car and the retirement is now meaningless. And all that's left is a tormenting memory of what once was and a complete sense of hopelessness, a complete sense of isolation. Nobody, think about this, nobody to talk to. And you might say, Isaiah, you're sounding real strong here and real scary. This isn't doing justice how terrible hell is. No one to talk to for all of eternity. The only sound you're gonna hear is screaming, wailing, and the weeping and gnashing of teeth for a billion years, and it's just gonna get started after a billion years. This is not like regular darkness. This is a presence. This is an outer darkness. The Bible says that they will be cast into an outer darkness. Now, many scholars say, that outer darkness is actually a feeling of always going farther away from God. As you're in hell, every million years, every hundred years, there's this inward sense in you that every minute that goes by in hell, stay with me, you're drifting farther and farther and farther from the cross, from the grace of God, from the mercy of God, from the power of God, there is a constant drifting into outer darkness, a constant hopelessness where you feel in your mind, the more time that goes by, the less chance I have to escape this terrible place. And you know, many people, and like I said, thousands have gone and they have stories of hell and I'm not going into everyone's stories. I only went into Bill's because I know him personally. And they all say the worst part is this outer hopelessness of I'm drifting farther. I'll never see my wife again. I'll never see my kids again. I'll never know what they would be. I'll never know. I don't know where my wife is. Is she in heaven? Is she a billion people away burning on the other side of the pit? You'll, you just have this constant sense of not knowing. And, the, and this is to me the worst thought you could have in hell. People are on earth and they don't know that I'm down here. Because at your funeral, they said, you were a great person. You never hurt anybody. You never did wrong. You paid your tithes. You went to church. Although there was no relationship, although there was no life change, you're sitting there wondering, man, those people think I'm in heaven, but they don't know that I'm down here. And there's that sense of no one's ever going to find me. I'm in a sea of a billion people. I'm just one person in the midst of an open pit of burning fire. And for the rest of forever, and this guys, it makes me honestly sick to my stomach to think about this. Honestly, I was nauseous all day long. I, I get sick to my stomach, even preaching. I've been, my stomach's turning the whole time I'm preaching because the thought of spending forever in somewhere where no one is ever going to know your name, there's no chances, there's no talking to the person next to you, talking to a friend or family member, it makes my stomach turn. And this is how serious God is wanting to take us to take hell. The Bible says, and I'm almost done here, that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in hell. Now, what does it mean to weep and gnash of teeth? Jesus said in Luke 13, 28, in that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you say Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets, but you yourself are thrown out. Matthew 13, 41, he says, the son of man will send out his angels and they will weed out his kingdom, every cause of sin and all who practice lawlessness. And he will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The weeping and gnashing of teeth represents 
complete and utter hopelessness, despair, uncontrollable psychological pain, the gnashing of the teeth, it speaks of extreme anguish and pain, and the gnashing of teeth is also a sign of anger. Anger towards God, because how many know everyone in hell has a hatred towards God? and anger at yourself for not listening to the simplicity of the gospel message, not allowing Christ into your life and receiving his forgiveness. And this is gonna be an eternal anger with yourself and torment because you will say, why did I not listen? Why did I not get right with God? And we're gonna pray with you at the end of this, obviously. Why did I not get right with God? I have a chance tonight, not to repeat some prayer where now I'm guaranteed salvation, but to choose this lifestyle to choose this path and to say, God, I'm turning from my sin. I want to know you. I want to serve you. I want to get right with you. Tonight is my night. Now it's important because Jesus preached on hell. He preached on hell in Matthew 5. He preached on hell in Mark 9. He preached on hell. I won't go through every instance for the sake of time in Matthew 10 and Matthew 11. Jesus in Matthew 23 is talking about hell, is preaching on the dangers of hell. Now, why would Jesus preach on hell so much? Because you'll never understand the full power of the cross if you don't realize the penalty of what you are saved from. Hell is absent of everything that is good. The Bible says that every good and perfect thing comes from God and because God's attributes are non-existent in hell, all the good things in our life are removed. Hell is dark because God is light. Hell is only death because God is life. Hell is hatred because God is love. Hell has no mercy because remember, the mercy of the God is in the heavens, the Bible says. Hell is only weakness because the Lord gives us strength according to Psalms 18. Hell is loud because my people will dwell in quiet resting places. Hell has no water because water, the Bible says in Deuteronomy, is the rain of heaven. Hell has no peace because Isaiah 9, 6 says, Christ is the Prince of Peace. Everything God is, hell isn't. And the only thing in hell that represents God is the wrath of God towards the people in hell. 2 Thessalonians 1.8 says, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Friend, in hell, the vengeance of God is against people for all of eternity. How can a loving God send someone there? God doesn't send people there. People choose by their actions, by their profession, by their lifestyle, and by their choices to go there. Nobody is on hell on accident. Every single person is there because they chose to go there. This is the reality. Now, some people think, well, brother, tonight I'm listening to your word. I'm a good person. But friend, I want to tell you right now, being a good person does not get you into heaven. Well, how could a loving God not let me in? Imagine you, just think about this going to a random mansion, knocking on the door and saying, hey, guess what? I want to move in with you forever. Would you expect yourself, and I'm going to make this simple for you guys. Would you expect yourself to let that person in? Would you let them move in with you forever? No. Why would you not let them come in forever with you? Because you have no relationship with them. So you might, ex you, you expect to live your entire life not knowing God, not serving God, ignoring God, and then you think on judgment day, you're going to knock on God's door and God's going to say, come in because why? I have no relationship. I wouldn't let no one live with me that I don't know. I would never let a stranger off the road. If I don't have a relationship with somebody, I wouldn't let him come live with me. And this is how we get into heaven. It's through our relationship with Jesus. Don't get it mistaken. Don't get it twisted. This is not by our works. This is not by the doctrine that we believe or the things that we do. This is having a relationship with Jesus. And when you 
you have a relationship with Jesus, you do the things that Jesus did. You love the way that Jesus loved and you live out the gospel that Jesus preached. So imagine, now let me give you this thing. Cause some of you say, well, I'm a good person and you still wouldn't let me. Imagine knocking on the door and saying, excuse me, I'm a liar, I'm a thief, I'm full of lust, I'm a cheater, I'm an abuser. Please come let me live with you. I'm a good person. Now I have four little girls. You are not coming to my house if you're all those things. Why? Because in God's eyes, we are unholy. And in God's eyes, we are liars. In God's eyes, we are thieves. In God's eyes, we've broken every single law. In God's eyes, none of us are righteous. None of us are good. And God would never let us in, in our own righteousness. So what did he do? He sent Jesus to pay the price for what we deserve. Jesus took on death so that we can take on life. Jesus descended into hell so that we don't have to descend into hell. Took back the keys from death, hell, and the grave and says, now I've given you life and life more abundantly. Now you're able to overcome the powers of hell. Friend, I'm telling you the price that Jesus prayed was too high. And if you think I'm a good person, you might be a good person in your eyes, but not in, and not in God's eyes. The Bible says our righteousness, filthy rags. So who's righteous tonight? None of us. All have fallen short. All are unrighteous. And this terrible place that I didn't even touch on or even do any, uh, do any justice on how terrible, because there's no words in the human language to describe this place can be avoided if we put our hope in Jesus, if we build a relationship with him, and if we follow him tonight. Now, would you say, would you say I'm unloving because I didn't let a child molester, a thief, a robber, a liar come live with me? No, you're not unloving. Anyone in their right mind would do that. Yet why do we say God is unloving? Why would we say God is unloving? It's your choice to build a relationship with God. The price has been paid. God is seeking a relationship with humanity. He wants to know you personally. And this is the very reason why his son died on the cross is to remove everything that is separating you from him. Now, Isaiah isn't preaching hell. Now, I want all you pastors listening to steal this message. I don't care if you take it word for word, steal it and preach it to your church Sunday. And I know a lot of you, I literally get hundreds of messages of, I preach your message. I taught at my Bible coach. I taught at my church good we need to preach on hell and you might ask as i close is preaching on hell a scare tactic well colossians 1 28 says him we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in christ jesus and paul said this in second corinthians 5 11, knowing the terror of the lord we persuade men Paul referring to the judgment seat of Christ. Paul referring to the severity of hell and the judgment of God. He says, this is why I'm encouraged. Paul says, you want to know the reason why I preach? You want to know the reason why I preach so strong? You want to know the reason why I'm so serious about God? You want to know the reason why I'm shouting and I'm so bold and I'm getting shipwrecked and stoned and beat and everything else? He said, because I know the severity of hell. I know the terror of the Lord. And so this is the reason that I'm persuading men. This is the reason why I'm yelling and shouting. And every time I get up to preach. I take it so serious. I put it all on the field and I don't mess around. I don't give it half-hearted because I know the terror. I know the severity of the Lord. And I know that God uses foolishness of preaching to save men that are perishing. So is preaching hell just a scare tactic? Well, if it is, Jesus is guilty of using the scare tactic because Jesus is the one that did it. 
and the devil is a liar we just lost our internet here hopefully we can we're reconnecting here i hope you guys are still on type one if you can still hear me we just completely lost our internet i hope the stream did not go down in jesus name i'm telling you god is going to move tonight and the internet is going out it froze just go ahead and refresh the page the devil is a liar we're reconnecting guys we dropped out completely type one in the chat if you're able to see me type one in the chat if you're able to hear me how crazy is this i'm telling you guys the opposition i just preached for an hour and 22 minutes and now the internet drops out right as we're about to pray go ahead and refresh it and when you hear me type one in the chat type one in the chat father we ask you right now to bring breakthrough in jesus name we ask for your power in jesus name it's it's me it's not you guys my internet just completely went out right when i said we're about to pray in Jesus' name, type one if you can hear me. We're going to get that internet back on in Jesus' name. Lord, do not let this internet disconnect. Do not let this internet disconnect in Jesus' name. Father, we pray that you would keep this signal strong in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, Father, we pray. Keep the signal strong. We're just getting our signal back. Type one if you can hear me. Okay, you can hear me. The devil is a liar. I know a lot of people dropped off here. Look at right as we're going to pray. Why did, right as we're going to pray, the internet, my, no, my internet cut out. It's not you guys. My internet, my internet provider literally cut out and I'm praying that we can reconnect because sometimes when it cuts out, it's not able to reconnect, but we're going to try to reconnect in Jesus name. Father, we pray for your power and your anointing just to fall right now in Jesus name. Let me know guys, if you can hear me, I'm completely disconnected here. Father, we pray your power, your anointing, your fire to just reconnect us in Jesus name reconnect us to the broadcast in jesus name father we ask you holy spirit fire okay i think we're still on let me check on my 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 side here we're reconnecting in jesus name hopefully it reconnects us okay did it reconnect us it's supposed to shut down the stream but thank jesus that it reconnected us and we're still logged on because i wouldn't be able to restart the stream in this event so here's what we're going to do i was at the very end anyways we're going to pray everybody's reconnecting okay everyone says they can hear me good in jesus name the devil is a liar guys this is a testament to the fact that the devil does not want this out he's things are freezing up the internet providers are going out but we're going to pray right now if you want to say god now listen this is not just for unbelievers I'm not going to lead you in the sinner's prayer because I don't believe the sinner's prayer is biblical. I'm going to lead you into Acts 2.38. What should we do to be saved? They cried out to Peter after he preached. Their hearts were pierced. Then what must we do to be saved? And Peter said that you need to repent, believe on Jesus, be baptized. Friend, there is a turning away of sin. And then he goes and receive the Holy Spirit. So here's what we're going to do tonight. We are going to repent every single one. We're not going to pray the sinner's prayer. We're not going to invite Jesus to build a treehouse in our heart. We are going to repent of our sins. We're going to turn away from our wicked ways. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us. We're going to ask God to change us. And we're going to ask God, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, in your own words, friend, I got saved and no one led me through a prayer. In fact, I said in my time of salvation, I'm not praying this year's prayer, but I'll follow you, God. If I'll lay everything down if you're real. God is looking for us tonight to lay down everything. This is what I want you to do. I want you to say, God, I'm willing to give you whatever you want. I'm willing to repent if there's a relationship, if there's a family member, if there's a friend, if there's anything in my life that is not of you, I'm willing to lay it down tonight to seek you and to follow you. So I want to tell you, friend, right now, this is your moment. Repent of your sins. Peter did not lead them in a prayer. Peter said, God is going to work on you tonight as you repent. So in your own words, just say, God, I turn away. I repent. I want to change. And this has to be not just a prayer, but on the in, innermost part of you, you desiring to serve God. Something in you has to say, God, I want to serve you. And I want to know you like I've never known you before. I'm going to pick up my cross. I'm going to deny myself. 
my own dreams, my own ambitions, my own selfish ways. That's repentance. It literally means to change the way that you think. I want to change the way that I think. And if you can get baptized in water, I would recommend getting baptized. Baptism is not a prerequisite. Well, if you're not saved, you're not baptized because we know the thief on the cross wasn't baptized and the Bible says he was saved. But I think if you're able to, you should get baptized as soon as you can. Whether that's in your bathtub with a family member, get baptized as soon as you can. You know, you're not going to go to hell because you weren't baptized, but the Bible does command us to do it. And I believe it is necessary and biblical to be baptized. And he says, repent, be baptized, and then you could receive the Holy Spirit. And so tonight, God wants to pour out his Holy Spirit. Now, I'm tonight with you guys praying, saying, Lord, I repent of anything in my life. Search my heart, God. Search my mind. Search my will. Search my emotions, God. Search out anything in my life that offends you. I know it's going to buffer again because the internet just keeps cutting in and out here. But I'm telling you guys, tonight is the night where you say, God, search me out. And then I just want to say a quick prayer over you as you're doing this in your own way. I'm going to say this quick prayer over you. Father, I thank you over every person listening. I thank you over every person watching, God, that you've brought them in, that they've been drawn by your spirit. The Bible says nobody comes to the Father unless the spirit first draws them. And God, we ask for your power. We ask for your anointing. We ask for your fire right now in Jesus' name. And the internet's cutting out. We're going to pray right through it. Father, we pray for a baptism of your power. We pray for a baptism of your fire. We pray for your Holy Spirit anointing just to come upon every single person in Jesus' name. Yeah, it's getting disconnected. I'm going to wait to pray here. I'm hoping it reconnects in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, we pray for your power, your anointing right now in Jesus' name. Father, right now in Jesus' name. Right now, Lord, we pray you'd reconnect this internet in Jesus' name. I'm trying to fix the internet here, guys. I know we're cutting out. Let me try to fix this. We still do have internet. I don't know why it's doing this. Lord, please reconnect in Jesus' name. Just stay with me, guys. Let it load. I know it's frozen. I'm, I'm completely no internet right now, so you're probably not even hearing this. Lord, please, please let this reconnect in Jesus' name. Let this reconnect in Jesus' name. Stay with me, guys, if you're still on here. I'm, my internet's completely gone, so let's see if it's going to let me still have it on here. In Jesus' name. The devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. So I think it's going to end here, guys. I'm going to start a new stream. Give me one second here, guys. I'm going to start a new stream. If you're still here. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.